Thank you for downloading this audio edition of a complete chapter from the volume entitled On Common Ground, International Perspectives on the Community Land Trust. I'm John Emmius Davis, one of the book's editors, along with my colleagues Lena Algood and Maria Hernandez-Torales. On Common Ground was published in June 2020 by Terra Nostra Press, a division of the Center for CLT Innovation. We hope that you enjoy the following program. Introduction On Common Ground Written by John Emeos Davis, Line Algoit, and myself, Maria E. Hernandez Torrales. I will read first, followed by John, and then Line. Fifty years after the appearance of the first community land trust in the United States, an invention forged in the crucible of the civil rights movement, community land trusts have multiplied. In its country of origin, over 260 community land trusts are operating in cities, suburbs, islands, and towns. Nearly every state has at least one, as does the District of Columbia. Beyond the United States, over 300 community land trusts are up and running in the United Kingdom. Others have been established in Australia, Belgium, Canada, and France. Interests have been raising in Germany, Ireland, Italy, the Netherlands, Portugal, Scotland, and Spain. To date, most of the growth is what is becoming a worldwide community land trust movement has occurred in the global north. But that is changing, due in part to the example and impact of the Caño Martín Peña community land trust in Puerto Rico. This community-led initiative for regularizing tenure and for securing the homes of families residing in informal settlements have made steady progress despite natural disasters and the island's ongoing economic distress, attracting the attention of people living in similar situations in Latin America and the Caribbean. Community activists in Africa and South Asia have taken note of the community lanterns as well, exploring whether some version of this strategy might be used to promote equitable and sustainable development in rural and urban areas within their own countries. Community land trusts have been noticed too by the United Nations. At the 2016 Conference on Housing and Sustainable Urban Development in Quito, Ecuador, community land trusts were included among the policies, tools, mechanisms, and financing models named in the UN's new urban agenda for promoting access to housing and making cities more inclusive. Community land trusts were touted as one of the several cooperative solutions for addressing in the agenda's words the evolving needs of persons and communities 
in order to improve the supply of housing, especially for low-income groups, prevent segregation, and prevent arbitrary force evictions and displacements, with special attention to programs for upgrading slums and informal settlements. Community land trusts acquire, manage, and develop land for a variety of purposes, but most of them do have a programmatic focus on promoting and preserving access to housing, especially for low-income groups. Many community land trusts pay special attention, moreover, to addressing the needs of people at risk of being displaced, either because they are residing on lands for which they do not hold formal title, or because they are being priced out of areas where land values and housing costs are rapidly rising. This puts the emerging community land trust movement at the intersection of two worldwide movements for social change. The first is occurring in places where people who are land insecure are struggling to gain recognition, registration, and legal protection for collective property, acreage that is occupied under some form of informal land holding system. Depending on the country, such property is termed communal, collective, customary, native, indigenous, or community land. Secondly, community land trusts are part of an increasingly powerful housing rights movement that is surfacing in cities around the world. The issues being championed by this amorphous movement include a right to the city, rent control, community-led development, and housing that remains permanently affordable. Rising international interest in the community land trust, spurred in part by the alignment of the community land trust with these other global movements, is what prompts us to produce the present volume. Our purpose in commissioning the original essays contained herein was fourfold. We wanted to fill a gap in current research which has largely overlooked the appearance of a worldwide community land trust movement and the existence of cross-national connections and influences. We wanted to raise the profile of exemplary community land trusts having particular relevance for equitable development in communities facing similar challenges, including those in which most residents are living without security of tenure. We wanted to promote greater peer-to-peer -peer learning across national borders fostering the spread of innovative strategies and best practices. Finally, as unapologetic advocates for this particular approach to community-led development on community-owned land, we wanted to spur the formation of new community land trusts in communities and countries that are currently without one. 
By sharing the stories of practitioners and projects in places where community land trusts have had success in providing homes and other community assets that remain permanently affordable, we hope to encourage community organizers, public officials, and non-governmental organizations to give the community land trust a try. What's in a name? Community land trusts are not all alike. Among the hundreds of CLTs that already exist or are presently being planned, there are numerous variations in how these organizations are structured, how their lands are utilized, how development is done, and how the stewardship of housing is operationalized. What is called a community land trust can vary greatly from one country to another, even from one community to another within the same country. The basic features of the modern-day CLT were originally outlined in a popular book published in 1972. The design for this, quote, new model for land tenure in America, unquote, was drawn mostly from New Communities Incorporated, a rural settlement founded three years earlier by African-American activists who sought to combine community ownership of land, individual ownership of multifamily and single-family housing, and the cooperative organization of agricultural production. The book's authors drew, too, on a number of historical precedents, including the collectively owned lands of indigenous peoples, the town commons of colonial New England, the Moshav Avdim of Israel, the Ahidos of Mexico, the Ojama Vijanini of Tanzania, and the Gramdan villages of India. The model described in 1972 also bore a close resemblance to the mixed ownership scheme that Ebenezer Howard had proposed in 1898 for the garden cities of England. The houses, stores, orchards, and factories in the new towns he wanted to establish on the outskirts of major cities would be privately owned by individuals, cooperatives, or for-profit businesses. But the underlying land would be owned forever by a non-governmental organization created expressly for that purpose. These scattered parcels of land, despite their removal from the speculative market, would be made available for planned development and productive use through long-term ground leases, executed between the nonprofit landowner and myriad individuals who owned buildings or operated enterprises on the leaseholds. Land was to be held and managed on behalf of all residents, rich and poor, present and future, enabling a community to direct its own development, to determine its own fate, and to capture for the common good a majority of the gains in land value that society as a whole had helped to create. To the mixed ownership model pioneered in England, India, and elsewhere, the visionaries who created New Communities Incorporated and the reflective practitioners who followed in their wake added organizational and operational features of their own 
turning the model into something different, something new. Community-owned land remained the foundation on which a CLT was to be established, with a private, non-profit corporation holding and managing scattered parcels of land for the benefit of residents of a particular locale, especially low-income families in need of housing. What got added were mechanisms for ensuring that the development done by a CLT would be guided by the community, as would the organization itself. This was not development from above, dictated by a governmental body, a charitable investor, or a benevolent provider of social housing. It was development from below, directed by residents of the community a CLT had been organized to serve. Ownership and empowerment were to go hand in hand. Added to was an operational commitment to the stewardship of any lands entrusted to the CLT and of any buildings erected on its lands, most of which would be owned by somebody else. Projects pursued by a CLT were designed to ensure that housing, non-residential buildings, and other land uses would remain continuously affordable long after development was done. These distinctive features of ownership, organization, and operation, overlapping and interacting in a dynamic model of place-based development, became known as the classic CLT. Almost as soon as nearly everyone came to agree on this particular conception and configuration of the Community Land Trust, however, the model began to be modified in countless ways. Variations arose in every feature of the classic CLT as practitioners in different places adapted it to fit conditions, needs, and priorities in their own communities or to fit customs and laws in their own countries. This continuing process of innovation and adaptation has helped the CLT to spread across a disparate international landscape and to thrive in a range of settings. At the same time, the diversity of meanings attached to the model and the variety of ways in which CLTs are structured have introduced a degree of difficulty to the task of explaining exactly what a CLT might be. Today, there is ambiguity even a dose of controversy to be found in the description and implementation of every component. Community. Throughout the world, most organizations that call themselves a CLT are committed to involving a place-based population in their activities, incorporating a participatory ethos into their organization's purposes, practices, and structure. People who live on the CLT's lands and those who live nearby are encouraged to become voting members of the organization. They are recruited to serve on its governing board. They are invited to participate in shaping the uses and projects proposed by the CLT. Development is community-led, along with the organization that initiates and oversees that development. Ambiguity enters the picture because of the varying arrangements that CLTs employ in striving to engage and to empower their community. 
controversy arises because some CLTs have dispensed with community altogether, causing critics to question whether they should even be considered a real CLT. The traditional model's distinctive features of ownership and operation might be present, but residents who are served by the organization neither govern nor guide it. That is, community is missing from the makeup of the entity doing development. Variations like these create perennial challenges for CLT advocates whenever they try to reach a consensus as to what deserves to be deemed a community land trust. Land. The typical CLT is a nonprofit organization that removes land permanently from the marketplace, managing it on behalf of a place-based community while making it available for long-term use by individuals and organizations. Title to the buildings on a CLT's land, either those existing when a CLT acquired the land or those constructed later on, is held individually by any number of parties. Homeowners, cooperatives, businesses, gardeners, farmers, etc. The underlying land is leased from the CLT by the building's owners. This mixed ownership arrangement blurs the legal and conceptual boundary between conventional categories of tenure, where real property is presumed to be one thing or the other. A community land trust messes up this tidy picture, for it is balanced halfway between the two extremes of individual property, owned and operated primarily for the purpose of promoting private interest, and collective property, owned and operated to promote a common interest. The CLT tilts toward the former in its treatment of buildings. It tilts toward the latter in its treatment of land making the CLT a first cousin to cooperatives, co-housing, and various forms of communal, collective, and tribal land. Although a CLT's lands are frequently and fairly characterized as community-owned, or in the parlance of the present volume, as common ground, these land holdings are neither collectively nor cooperatively owned by the people living on them or around them. Title is held exclusively by the CLT. A community land trust is ownership for the common good, not ownership in common. There are places, however, where the separation of ownership is made difficult or impossible by quirks in the property laws of a particular country or by the quibbles of prospective funders. CLTs have sometimes been compelled, therefore, to retain ownership of buildings as well as the land, or to relinquish ownership of both, while imposing long-lasting restrictions on the use and affordability of these properties. Another variation has been developed in Puerto Rico, where the Caño Martin Peña CLT holds the underlying land but uses a durable surface rights deed rather than a ground lease to provide security of tenure for people who own and occupy houses on the CLT's land. Some of them are living on sites their families have occupied for nearly a hundred years. Trust. 
Although trust is part of their given name, CLTs have rarely been established as real estate trusts. Most are NGOs, private, nonprofit corporations with a charitable purpose of meeting the needs of populations who are regularly underserved by both the market and the state. Trust refers not to how a CLT is organized, but to how it is operated. Trust is what a CLT does in overseeing the lands and buildings under its care and in performing the duties of stewardship. Foremost among these duties is the preservation of affordability, ensuring long-term access to land and housing for people of modest means and preventing their displacement due to gentrification and other pressures. Stewardship also includes such responsibilities as preventing deferred maintenance in housing and other buildings on the CLT's land and intervening, if necessary, to protect occupants against predatory lending, arbitrary eviction, mortgage foreclosure, and other threats to security of tenure. Some CLTs have focused less on the provision of housing, however, than on the preservation of watersheds, woodlands, or agricultural lands, either in rural or urban areas. The stewardship responsibilities of a CLT entrusted with managing such lands can look very different than the stewardship needed when affordable housing is a CLT's operational focus. Model. In 1972, the first book to describe the Community Land Trust called it a new model of land tenure. It has been called a model ever since. A number of practitioners and researchers have grown uncomfortable with the term, however. Some object because model, from their perspective, carries a negative connotation of something experimental, unfinished, unreliable. They point to 50 years of success, saying that the CLT is no longer a working prototype, but a road-tested, high-performing vehicle that has gone the distance and proven its effectiveness under challenging conditions. Others object because model seems to imply there is only one proper way of structuring a CLT, when the reality unfolding around the world is the emergence of many structures and strategies. Each country and community is composing its own variation on the theme of CLT Classic. Model tends to be especially problematic for organizers in the global south, for whom the term is tainted with a whiff of Yankee arrogance, as if there exists some sort of universal blueprint for building a CLT indelibly stamped with Made in America. Most organizers outside of the global north tend to avoid the term, preferring to describe the CLT as a mechanism instrument, or tool. On the other hand, there are still many practitioners and researchers for whom model remains their term of choice. It holds for them a positive, prescriptive message of a design, pattern, or practice that is exemplary and worthy of consideration by anyone involved with affordable housing or community development. 
they are unconcerned that model may also suggest that the CLT is still being fine-tuned, still in a state of flux. After all, a restless search for better ways of configuring and combining ownership, organization, and operation is part of the reason why CLTs have been able to thrive in so many political and economic environments, some of which were initially hostile to their germination. A majority of our book's contributors have in fact continued the custom of referring to the CLT as a model, but we have not discouraged contributors who have preferred to call it something else. Even authors who regularly refer to the CLT as a model also describe it on occasion as a strategy, platform, mechanism, vehicle, construct, or tool, sometimes within the same essay. These terms are used interchangeably throughout the book. What's in the book? The volume is divided into five sections, each containing a collection of chapters addressing a similar topic. 1. Bright Ideas Five essays provide an overview of strategies, structures, definitions and justifications for doing community-led development on community-owned land surveying the diverse landscape of the Community Land Trust. 2. National Networks. The proliferation of CLTs in the Global North is examined in four essays focused on the development of robust CLT movements in the United States, England, Canada and Europe. 3. Regional Seedbeds. Six essays explore the potential for future CLT growth in the Global South, viewed through the lens of a seminal CLT in Puerto Rico and other noteworthy initiatives in Latin America, Africa and Asia. 4. Urban Applications Case studies of CLTs in London, in Brussels and in three cities in the United States, Boston, Burlington and Denver, demonstrate the model's success in providing affordable housing, promoting commercial development and spurring neighborhood revitalization. Another essay is devoted to the acquisition and stewardship of land for urban agriculture, showing that CLTs are not only about housing. And five, critical perspectives. A handful of shorter essays reflect on the changing environment to which CLTs must adapt in the years ahead and the emerging opportunities for CLTs to go to scale Several contributors call attention to the need for CLT practitioners to make their organizations more inclusive and responsive to the communities they serve, if CLTs are to succeed in reclaiming commons and transforming property and power in the place of residence. Production of this book was made possible by the Center for CLT Innovation and by the generous financial support of World Habitat, the Urban Land Conservancy, Solidus Inc. and Sustainable Housing for Inclusive and Cohesive Cities, a cross-national initiative funded by the European Union. Translation and production of the Spanish edition was made possible by a substantial grant from the Ford Foundation, arranged by Jerry Maldonado. Artwork was donated by Bonnie Acker. The book was designed by Sarah Dehan. We must also express our gratitude, of course, for the 42 authors from a dozen different countries 
who donated their time and talents to this project. When recruiting this remarkable parliament of scholars and practitioners, we recognized that perspectives on the CLT were bound to differ. As an initial prompt, we proposed a working definition of the CLT, community-led development of permanently affordable housing on community-owned land. But we anticipated, correctly as it turned out, that some authors would choose to shrink the boundaries of that broad definition, while others would want to expand it. We welcomed both. We tried to respect, as well, the distinctive voices that contributors brought to the task of reporting their findings and telling their stories. Some chapters are conventionally academic in style, therefore, while others are more anecdotal, written by practitioners talking candidly about their personal experiences in working with CLTs in their own communities. Although neither conceptual nor stylistic uniformity is to be found in the current collection of essays, there are commonalities nonetheless. What unites a global community of CLT practitioners and scholars is more important than what separates us. Woven throughout the book's 26 chapters are recurring themes that provide something of a lingua franca for understanding what it means for an organization to be a CLT and to behave like one. There is a shared commitment to reinventing and repurposing real estate for the common good. There is a shared conviction that community-owned land in particular is likely to do a better job of promoting equitable and sustainable development than land that is commodified and owned individually, especially in places populated by groups that have long been disadvantaged and disempowered. Another trait that is shared by most CLT scholars and practitioners, another theme that is threaded through the present volume, is a conviction that the whole of a CLT is greater than the sum of its parts. Across the diverse landscape of CLTs, ownership, organization and operation are not configured exactly the same in every town and country. Wherever this strategy has been adopted, however, there is a general recognition that it takes more than a single component to make a CLT. It takes more than the reinvention of any one of them to bend the arc of development towards a fairer distribution of property and power. Community-owned land by itself is not enough. Community-led development is not enough. Permanently affordable housing is not enough. It is their combination that gives a CLT its distinctive identity and transformative potential. To be sure, there are places in the world where CLTs have been effective without adopting every feature of the classic CLT. That model is no longer a template, but it remains a touchstone. It is where most people start when striving to adapt this complex form of tenure to their own situations. It is where most people hope a CLT will lead when envisioning a better outcome from their arduous, virtuous labors, whether providing affordable housing, rebuilding residential neighborhoods, regularizing tenure in informal settlements or preserving productive lands and local enterprises at risk of being lost to market pressures.
when land is owned for the common good of a place-based community, present and future, when development is done by an organization that is a creature of that community, rooted in it, accountable to it, and guided by it, when stewardship is deliberate, diligent, and durable, justice is more likely to be achieved and more likely to last. That is the moral impetus and lofty promise of common ground. This has been an audio presentation of a published chapter from the book entitled On Common Ground. To order the entire volume of 26 essays, authored by scholars and practitioners from a dozen different countries, or to learn more about the International Community Land Trust movement, please visit the website of the Center for CLT Innovation. We can be found at www.cltweb.org. Thank you for listening.